welcome to Exploring the Marketplace podcast. My co-host is Bob Hassan, and we are creating a conversation with Christian marketplace leaders who have careers that have been impacted by their faith. We are also answering your questions about entrepreneurship, business leadership, careers, and how the kingdom of God changes your impact in the marketplace. Come join the conversation now. Bob Hassan, we're here again today for another podcast. Here we are. I'm excited because one of the things we're going to explore with this is that prophetic word I had, which was, I believe in marketplace leaders are God's frontliners for the next great move of God. Not just like a church centric thing, but worldwide where there's evangelism, a billion souls saved. And you have the main activity that I think is going to be in career fields and business ownership and marketplace. And I've told you that's one of the reasons why we're writing a book together, but it just hits me strongly as we're doing these interviews, especially and as we're doing this podcast that people it's, it's resounding with people. People are like, yes, I, I see myself in that. I see I'm stationed as an appointee on that mountaintop of influence for that reason. Right. And one of the things I think we can help people understand is this notion of the sacred versus secular. Yeah. If, if Are people in the church more important than people in the marketplace? And for a lot of years, um, there's been a little bit of confusion there. And I think what we get to unpack is talking to believers who are in their professions, who are maybe not evangelizing Christ, but they're showing Christ by their character, by their Absolutely. morals, by their ethics, by the way they do business. Well, and I was really influenced by my parents because they loved the church. They loved revival. They loved anything that had to do with like a God meeting. They would in our city or region, wherever we were, they'd go to. But my dad didn't want to lay down his career to become a pastor. He was actually a colonel in the Air Force. And I'd watched my dad who had this amazing humility, but also I mean, it's a powerful position in the military. Yes. And so we were the officer brats. We were the kids who had like all the power because our dads were important type thing. And I would watch my dad carry that place of influence really well. I didn't, but he did. And I, you know, <laughs> But what was interesting about that is that like I'd go in and, and find a lot of times pastors or leaders didn't understand their place of influence as clearly. And my dad, who brought literally hundreds, and my mom as well, hundreds of people to the Lord through their occupation, if not thousands, because they would do small groups and home groups and whatever else. I feel like I watched somebody in a marketplace career field who had used that place as a place of influence, who was never in full-time ministry, but did more ministry than some of the leaders I saw in churches do. It was incredible to like witness that as a child. Yeah, what, what I've noticed is both in my business and, and all the businesses that I consult with is that you have influence as a business owner, as a director, as a shift leader, yeah. even as an employee, you have influence to be able to bring um, what you believe about the Lord in. Maybe not necessarily, I'm going to say it again, evangelizing, yeah. but your character showing through, your love showing through, the ability to be concerned and look out to the interests of others. And I think we're yeah. going to talk to Victor next, who is in the banking sector, and this is going to come out in spades. Yeah, I think it's so true because Victor is a person that you and I both personally deal with as a banker, and he is a Joseph, and he talks about that a lot to people who are Christians who are clients of his. And uh, where he just, he knows he's called to serve people. He's not always supposed to be the king of the mountain. He's supposed to serve people who are powerful people of influence and do it in a kingdom way so they can see a glimpse of what it, what Jesus and Christ-like servitude and servanthood is. And I think, you know, a lot of times when we want influence as a kingdom believer, we think of ourselves 
as that king of the mountain versus as that servant influencer like Jesus or Joseph or Daniel or Esther. All of our biblical pro- prototypes are all wrapped in servant, you know, servant clothes, so to speak. Doesn't mean that they weren't powerful, but it means sometimes we have the wrong mentality of how we come into it. And so I'm really curious to ask Victor some of those questions because he's so brilliant at talking about this. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for Victor's interview. We're really excited about sharing our friend with you. Well, I'm excited on exploring the marketplace to be here with Bob Hassan, but also our friend who's a banker named Victor, who's going to be sharing some of the stories from the banking world of how just the intersection of faith and and just reality, just marketplace works. And both Bob and I are well acquainted with Victor. He's a friend of both of ours. Bob, way more so than us because Bob introduced uh, Shree and I to him. And he's helped us quite a bit and also Bob and Lauren quite a bit. So it's so fun to be able to talk to you, Victor, about your perspective, your stories, your life in this context. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Bob. Victor, thanks for joining us. We're super excited to hear your story. And I know your stories, and this is going to be really fun. And uh, just uh, as we were talking in pre-production about how you got into banking, how did you get into banking? So I was a political science major, and I graduated, or I was about to graduate, and had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to go work in politics, so at least I'd figure that part of it out. (laughs) I did spend a summer in Washington, D.C., just before graduating, which was pretty exciting. Uh, It was enough to tell me that I didn't want to go into politics, but also (laughs) I did have a chance, uh, from a faith standpoint, I did get exposure to the Fellowship Foundation, mm. um, and and I really got to see some behind the scenes and men of faith. And I'd forgotten about this, but I actually had met uh, and had lunch with uh, with Doug Coe. Oh, time. it's amazing! Yeah, mm-hmm. summer of '85. I had worked as a bank teller, incidentally, during college for mm. extra money to help pay my expenses or some of my expenses or some of my fun. Hey, Victor, were you, yeah. did you go to USC? Were you a Trojan? Oh my goodness, Bob. What? I'm a Bruin. Oh. Come on. No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he just insulted you. <laughs> that was like, yeah. that was actually fighting words for. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> anyway, Victor, go ahead. So when I was in college, one of the best, parts of my college experience was I was involved in the college ministry at Bel Air Presbyterian Church. Oh, wow. And uh, and I actually got to know Don Muma through that mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. When I was there, there were mentors, people that were already in their career that were some of the lay leaders of the college group. And there was a gentleman who actually happened to be a banker and he suggested that I take a look at it. Banking at the time, corporate banking, had training programs where you came out of school and they took people with some potential aptitude for it and trained them. He actually even took me to you know, buy a suit um, <laughs> and really prepared me for the interview, the resume, the whole, the whole thing. And so that's how I started. So I started with, with a big bank in their training program. The rest of my resume is pretty simple. I was there for two years. I switched to another bank, a Japanese bank, for two years. Uh, then I switched to another bank for two years. <laughs> then I two was a mortgage cycles. broker for two years. And then I joined my current bank and current employer. 
and it'll be 25 years in October. So wow. if you would have met me 25 years ago and were looking to hire me, you probably could have expected to get two years out of me before I <laughs> moved on to what I thought was something bigger and better. The two-year cycles. One of the things that I love that when Bob first introduced us, Victor, is that he said, uh, Victor is a Joseph. He sees himself as a Joseph, which is one of the languages I love. I relate to Joseph one of the most for our generation, especially just because I feel like, you know, we live in this Babylonian system, even if it's not considered that it's just a worldly system. And yet there's these people who are believing for the kingdom of God to make a difference and seeing as they serve and as they connect, you know, the dots of their face to the world around them. God does amazing things. There's transformation through Jesus. And so when he used that language, you know, I, I, I was like, this is amazing. I can't wait to meet Victor. And then you shared a little bit about that. But can you share your perspective of how that came about? Like, how did that perspective about Joseph enter your heart? Well, it really developed over time. It wasn't all at once. And there's so many elements of it that, that apply. Because... And specifically, when I when I think of Joseph, ultimately, I think first of where he got to in the end, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever your perspective on the Joseph story, if you go to the end and you see he was literally Pharaoh's main advisor, yeah, and and he, but he wasn't the king. Pharaoh was the king, and even though. And I jokingly say he had a pretty sick chariot. There was a really <laughs> nice, wasn't a castle, but he had a nice place to live for his family and probably had all of the abundance that, that anyone at the time could have imagined. The equivalent of what have been a very successful business career. Yeah. But he wasn't the king. And I remember first telling people, I said, look, I'm like Joseph, and I hope to achieve one day success, and that's going to be coming from the people that I serve. And mm. my success is really tied to those whom I serve, and, and I'm not going to ever lose sight of the fact that I'm serving. The people that I work for, they have a gardener, they have a housekeeper, they have a lawyer they have me, right? And, and I'm just one of those that are part of their, part of the people that serve them, that help yeah. them, advise them. And that's the other thing is, is Joseph just wasn't, you know, he started out as a slave, but ultimately he really was a trusted advisor. Mm -hmm. All of Egypt was entrusted to him through the, and it does, it does follow a financial model, right? Because yeah. he navigated through the seven years of plenty to be prepared for the seven years of famine. And, and most of the people that I uh, interact with or I have the opportunity to serve are what I would call risk takers. And the reason they've become wealthy or the reason they've, be, they've, they've achieved what they've achieved is because they have a singular passion and they take a lot of risk and they step out uh, boldly in whatever it is. And I'm that person that can be the advisor, the risk mitigator. I consider myself a risk mitigator. So, so that's the, I think that's the, the broad context of, of, um, 
of how I see it. And it, and I, I've had to share with colleagues and people that have worked for me the significance, you know, even not necessarily in a in a biblical context, but the significance of understanding our role is to not be them, right? Mm. But to serve them. Wow, that's uh, so good. You know, Victor, go um, one of the things that the people listening are probably saying, wait a second, we're listening to a banker who's talking about being a servant. <laughs> yeah. Is that an oxymoron? It's, it <laughs> really does seem like it. And I mean, this is why you're so unique, and this is why we wanted to talk to you, because, um, and I know that you've trained, you know, hundreds of people under you into this way of thinking, and your legacy, you know, continues to grow as you train them. But we wanted to ask you uh, in your long career, have you, have you had uh, like a miracle, a marketplace miracle, a, a place where God did something, you know, that could have never happened? Well, I, I feel like that's almost every day. <laughs> Early on in my career with the organization that I am with now, it, it, I came to the conclusion that I couldn't control the results. And to further describe my position, yes, I'm a banker, but like most people, whatever the title is, everyone is really a, a, for lack of a better word, a salesperson, a business development person, a client relationship person. Your your career is dependent on results. And what I realized fairly early on was that the results were not in my control. Mm, and there were good. a few times where that I just would be sitting there kind of cranking along methodically trying to to sow the seeds, you know, tend it, nurture it and and then boom, like the harvest was beyond anything I could expect. Wow. And that happened that happened a, a number of times. There were there were a few. There was one early on in, in my career with my current current organization. Um and it was it was big. It was the deal of a it was a, a year in a deal. So wow. wow. Um and it it did quite a bit for my faith because it really because it was really clear there was no way that I could have orchestrated it. Right. There was no way that I could could have said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We're going to, you know, that, this, that. And then, boom, this is going to happen. Never could could even imagine it. And that's actually happened quite a few times. It, 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 and I almost, I expect it. I don't know if that's a bad thing. <laughs> um, but I expect it and I don't. It's not that I have a, a, an expectation that... Uh, I deserve something or that there's always going to be this, this, you know, this plentiful, you know, bounty of, of business. But I, I do expect God to provide and I expect that he is going to be in control of the results. I expect that the people that come before me that I'm going to serve, that he's going to bring them. And maybe it's not going to always be about, actual dollars and a dollar return, but maybe there's going to be something even more. And there's been some of those um, over my career as well. 
Well, one of the things that when um, Bob was first talking about you before the podcast was on the table, even we weren't even doing this, this is over a year ago when we met. He said, one thing that's interesting about Victor is that he has a reputation in his bank for integrity. And he also, when he brings deals to the table, like mortgages, if there's refinances or whatever, he just has his bank trusts him so much that if he wants to sign off on something for the most part, they do because like no one ever defaults. Like it's just so rare to have somebody because Victor just has such good discernment and such a good barometer, like to, to know if people, you know, know the situation to read the situation. And I just immediately felt like that was just a God thing inside of you. Just how, you know, God has put inside of you the gift to be able to do your, your career and profession as a Joseph, I think it's just such a clear picture, but can you talk a little bit about, and I think, you know, people learn from our strengths, but they also learn from moments of weakness too. Can you talk about, and I'll say this just for, cause I like this cause we send out questions to, you know, even though Bob knows you so well, we send out the question. He asked the question to you, have you ever failed or had a story of redemption of how God fixed it? And I like your statement was, I can't point to a, a catastrophic failure, but I can to micro failures, which I think is really a cool term micro failures that, there's these moments where things are happening that are always an opportunity to learn. You know, they're always a learning moment, but not everybody always learns from them. And so you had put one of those moments in the notes that I think would be really cool to talk about right now. Can you bring that one up? Yeah. So I was really fortunate to meet a client that was in a desperate situation and the client had put themselves in this situation. They had gotten, got overextended in constructing a residence how rare <laughs> and this would have been and this would have been and it, and it was it was huge i mean it was i think you know the budget might have been seven or eight million dollars and it had ballooned to 10 12 13 million dollars oh, wow. um the 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 person I had a marketing thing that I was doing and I was able to get to the person and we got together and it was, to me, it was really easy. He was a phenomenal human being. He was an heir uh, and ultimately would inherit several hundred million dollars. The timing of that could have been five years. It could have been 20 years, Yeah. but nonetheless, there was this estate and there was, continuing income that was going to come in no matter what every year. So his issue was really one of timing and he put himself in that situation. And the bank that he was with did not really see the long term and didn't really see, well, wait a second, this is just really a temporary situation. And they had, they had literally shut off the, shut off the construction dollars. Um, so we came, we came in, uh, advanced the additional funds that he needed. We came up with a repayment plan to get the loan right-sized within a, within a couple of years. And then very quickly, we were helping him with a lot of other things. And he was really able to pursue so many of dreams for his family and things that they wanted to do. And we really put him in a, in a strong position for, for his current situation. Hmm. Well, so several several years down the road, one of his one of his friends, lifelong friends, who had been a, a certain he had been a subcontractor, and was a buddy, was a high school buddy, and really really close. Well, he went into financial services, and now he was a financial advisor with another firm, 
and instructed this client to to look at some stuff and to maybe reevaluate some of their lending and this kind of thing. And and as it turns out, he was right. When the when they came to me for a competitive, so they essentially shot me. So here <laughs> I had saved this guy and <laughs> mm-hmm. I literally feel like I had saved him and he was indebted to me and he, I knew he felt that. But, but then with his buddy, they shot me and they shot me really heavy. And the mistake I made was I really became arrogant over that. Mm. Like I really, mm. I really thought, you know, I deserve Mm. I deserve him not to leave. I don't have to be cheaper. Wow. Right. right? I don't have to be cheaper and you have a moral obligation to stay with me. Mm. And that was, that was wrong. And it took me, I, I, I lost him. Probably the one major client I've lost ever. Wow. And, And it, I didn't immediately, I didn't immediately own that failure. Wow. Obviously I own the failure of losing the client, (laughs) but, (laughs) but my, you know, my culpability in it, my responsibility, it took me, it took me a little bit. And then I finally realized it. Victor, I have two questions for you. Yeah. First, what did you learn from that? And the second question is, I've heard you all through talk about your discernment. How do you hear God? What is it like for you when God speaks to you and you hear a direction? Yeah, discernment is discernment is definitely been something I feel has been I've been gifted with, especially in my profession. Uh, to you know, to quantify it, as Sean was alluding to, I've done a lot of mortgages in the organization. I've done a lot of lending, a lot of different lending, not just mortgages. And it's probably almost $2 billion. Wow. And I haven't, hmm. if you put it in real estate terms, I actually haven't taken a property back. And hmm. that's amazing. That's a miracle I've right had, there. Yeah. And I've had maybe cumulative losses in two, two different deals, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. Oh my God. So Out of 2 billion. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fraction. Your bank loves you. Yeah, it, it it but it's also part of our culture. So I do, I would say that it's not one of the reasons it's really worked, and the reason I've been here for twenty five years is that the values of the organization are consistent with these values of doing the right thing and wow. serving. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So it makes it really easy to operate with integrity and to and to really do the right thing. And, and to lend it as if it was your money and to even be thinking about the person you're making the loan wow. by not putting them in a position to, because I've had situations where I've said no. And believe me, you take someone who's really, really wealthy and they, you know, think they know everything and they, and they kind of do because they've really figured it out and they've done very, very well. And you say, you shouldn't do this and I'm not going to lend you the money to do it. And, and candidly, I think financial advisors need to do that more. Mm. It, it shocks me when mm-hmm. I hear of, especially athletes, like you hear of athletes that have made so much money 
and they've gone bankrupt and it turns out they had a financial advisor like how can you be like how could you be that person yeah right to not be able to and it is people are afraid to say no to powerful people that's good right to go to the king and say king you're wrong you can't you shouldn't do this and it's a huge mistake and you will regret it later that's so good and the follow-up question Bob had is where it's kind of our closing question is how do you hear God? Is it mostly like instinct and gut or do you, you know, what is your process? Well, I think my process is to immediately eliminate anything that is definitively wrong, sure. ethically, morally, <laughs> scripturally, just eliminate that. And then beyond that, I do really trust, I do really trust that God has given me the, the ability to have insight into the character of the people that I'm working with. That is so to cool. Know, you know, it, the, the credit evaluation process is one of, you're evaluating their ability to repay, you're evalu- evaluating the collateral, the, the, the capital behind it, all of these financial metrics. You're even evaluating character, which is credit in, in but I think that's understated, right? Because you can look and go, okay, they can afford to pay, but when it all comes down, will they? What will they yeah. do when, when it's really, really hard and when it's really, really difficult and you have to call them to accountability? Will they? And, and you find that. I've been very fortunate. I've had very few of those. I've had some, and they've been pretty interesting. And I've had a few people that have thanked me for, you know, I can think of one specifically where a a couple were advised by a real estate agent to short sell their property and they called me and I said, I don't know, you, you can't do that. You agree to pay this money and you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. I mean, I said, I guess you can do that if you really want to, but we're not, you know, this is not going to go easy. You need to continue to pay your loan and we'll we even looked at some things and we helped them and we figured out some things to make it to make it workable for both of us and at the time they were they were under underwater on their home about a hundred thousand dollars maybe ultimately they sold that 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 property and they netted out i think four hundred thousand dollars that's amazing that's so amazing victor we could have you on for three more episodes this stuff is so good I think when people listen to this too, I think like I'm listening as an observer who's not involved in the banking world at all, but there's this thing where you see people who are positioned that their assignment in life, but they're taking it from a place of faith, not just a career and how you're using, you know, these principles to guide you in this relationship with God to guide you in this way and really see this. And I, I just think of the bank you work for and how, how much they benefit when you are standing in the right way you should stand, you know, whether we use the word righteousness or whatever else that it really affects the the system you're working in. It affects all these clients. It's affected us, Bob and I both personally. So we want to thank you so much for sharing out of that place today. And it's just so valuable. And I just love that you, uh, you're you doing what you're doing. We just so appreciate you. Thank you, brothers. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Oh, Victor, thanks so much. Well, we're going to be back in just a minute with questions with Bob and Sean. 
Welcome to the Exploring Series podcast with me, Sean Bowles. We're now up to three episodes a week with three different themes. Join me every Monday for Exploring the Industry, where we have powerful conversations with Christians and entertainment industries around the world who have stories about how their faith is impacting their career in the world around them. Join us Wednesdays in one of the most listened to podcasts in Christianity, Exploring the Prophetic, where I get to interview people from every walk of life about how hearing from God has changed their world and the world around them. Then come download every Friday's edition where we're exploring the marketplace with my co-host, Bob Hassan, where we have powerful interviews and we answer questions from listeners like you who have careers in the marketplace. Come take a seat in our conversation and ask your questions and subscribe to the Exploring Series where we go on one journey together to see what it looks like to have a living relationship with Jesus in every kind of life imaginable. Bob, I'm so excited about this segment because you and I have answered so many people's questions at our live events, and now we get to do it on podcast. Yes. So we're going to be answering your questions, so please feel free. We're doing it in a different format because we're we're recording this at all different times. So we're giving you guys the opportunity to go to our webpage, www.bowlsministries.com, and you can record a question to us. And so you're going to hear some of these questions that are recorded being played today. This is the first time that Bob and I are hearing them. And we get to answer them together. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm really excited. We get practical, spiritual, everything. All in one wrap up. Sean, we have a question from Amy. So get ready. I'd like to ask you a question. Um, I live in Asia. And we are finding the city we're in has like this 45%, actually the nation has about a 45% something because of COVID-19, like unemployment um, or like economical Mm. downpour and a down, Mm. um, gone downhill. And we're trying to discover how to then take the realms of the seven mountains in those areas, especially business to be able to uh, help that bounce back, right? So my question, the city I live in, um, there is like this huge, uh, amount of real estate, for example, that's available now because I'm in a tourist town and they can't actually, uh, there's no tourists because of COVID-19, there's no travel. Um, so my question is, what do you do in the meantime? Um, so that the darkness doesn't come in and then take over because it was a dark city before, but like all the brothels of prostitution shutting down because there's no tourism. So that's my question. Amy, it's a great question. I know many people, many countries are suffering right now. And I think the biggest picture is partnering in your faith with what God's showing you to do is how you impact the seven mountaintops, seven spheres of authority. I have friends right now all over the world who we've been talking to who are uh, excelling and, and going forward in a time like COVID because they're getting strategies from God. And I know Christians who also are suffering. So I'm not saying everybody who is a Christian is excelling right now. I'm not saying it at all. But there's people who God's putting his presence on who are feeling like they're supposed to where the enemy is trying to take advantage of the situation that God's kingdom has never decreased from the time Jesus came on the earth. And so they're looking for his kingdom right now. And one of my friends, uh, he's part of a hedge fund that just took over $250 million worth of real estate. That's a lot. And I mean, how incredible is that? And they were buying it for pennies on a dollar because of COVID-19. And it's an opportunity that, you know, it wouldn't have ever come without this. So there's those kinds of opportunities that I think God is bringing to light for Christians And it could be a small micro opportunity, but every opportunity is important when God ordains it because it creates ripples in the spirit that, that speak of influence 10 years from now because of the decisions we make now. So I think just being faithful to obey God, take some risks in this season because everything's hard right now, but it's even harder if you're not taking risks as a person of faith with what God's putting inside of you. Sean, we were just talking about cultural transformation 
And this question reminds me of that conversation. Um, if you feel like there's opportunities, then I would get together with a small group of friends that you trust, advisors, and think about putting together a plan. Looking at available real estate is great, but what can you do? What resources do you have? Who is God going to put together with you in order to look for opportunities uh, for him in these in these seven mountains or the seven spheres? I think God gives supernatural strategy if you ask him. And I think if you band together with a group of people and and look for those opportunities and pray about them, he will reveal them to you. And I also think that during a time like this, that um, there's there's bankers and business people and people who own properties or own spaces or whatever that are willing to do things that they would have never been willing to do before. So it is a time of opportunity. If you have vision, if you have, um, if you can bring opportunity to the table for your city, for your region, then you get a voice like never before. So just praying for what it is God our city needs. What can we do right now? Like we've have, you know, our church um, went after foster care even during COVID and we're one of the top kind of voices in foster care in our city because uh, the voice became very loud because the work we've done, and it's not like we're a very big church, but it's because during this time we're providing a lot of action when there's not a lot of activity. So that kind of thing where you're just present, just be really present with what God's showing you, and it'll create a loud voice. Thank you so much for asking that question. Thanks for that question. If you have more questions, go to bullsministries.com and ask us a question. Okay, our next question is from Christy. I am so excited about your new podcast about experiencing God in the workplace. Um, my name is Christy Jones, and my question is, how can I position myself to really hear God's heart as well as his wisdom for the people that I believe that he's called me to serve? Um, so far, my experience has been more that I feel like what I'm doing is just more out of my own thoughts and it's kind of more soulish than it is spirit-led. And I'd really like to see more spiritual fruit from my interactions and also not feel um, like I'm trying so hard to be spiritual. So anyway, I hope that helps and um, can't wait to listen to the podcast. Christy, that's an awesome question. Yeah. Thanks so much for asking it. And I'd love to challenge you and say that I think you're hearing from God. I think that your heart is there and he's giving you the opportunities to hear, to hear from him that for the people that he's putting on your heart. So I'd love for you to trust the voice that's within you and to trust that he's speaking to you in a way that you're not sometimes accustomed to. And also, I think like if you if the metrics don't pan out like for something like maybe it's more of a specific business decision like I'm supposed to order this many units and it doesn't work out, um, just kind of evaluate that and maybe get some other people to speak into it. Look for market trends. If it's a like I know people retail stores are looking at certain product placement in the retail stores and they're having to use wisdom on how many to bring. Us personally, we've had to have times where it's like how many books do we order for our events because if we order five percent too many, it's going to create a cash flow problem. And so you, you know, and we've made some bad decisions uh, on based on desire before, like maybe that's what you call soulish. And I look at that and go, you know, we have desire and God always blesses good heart, even if it's immature. So you don't have to worry about like, you know, if, if you have an immature moment or whatever, when you're trying to pursue God, he'll bring alignment. If you bring the right, you know, process around yourself, which is listening, prayer, connecting to the word, connecting to other believers, getting coaching, getting help 
not being isolated or independent, those will help you a lot. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you so much for asking that question. We have a question from Margaret. I can't wait to hear it. How do you get motivated and keep motivated at a new job when anxiety and the fear of failing paralyzes you and all you want to do is give up? Margaret, that's an amazing question. And in 2015, there was a study that was uh, published in the Harvard Business Review, and it was the top five things that CEOs were afraid of. And uh, this author he interviewed, I think, 172 CEOs of the biggest companies in the world. And the number one fear that these CEOs had was the imposter syndrome, that someone would feel <laughs> like these, these guys didn't know what they were doing. And I think when you talk about CEOs, you have to realize in the top companies, it's not a far jump to say that these could be some of the best business people in the world. And well, they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be. Yeah. And if this is their biggest fear, then... Uh, I think your question has so much validity. I do want to say, though, that if you're if if I understand your question right, you're working in a company where there is a culture of fear and where you feel afraid. And I think that's something that you need to pray about is, is this the right company culture for me? We want to be working in company cultures where people are celebrated, where um, they can think outside the box and where new ideas um, are received well. Yeah, I think that's a great key. And I think sometimes um, sometimes it's inside of us where there's identity issues in us where we feel inferior, we don't feel worthy, we don't feel like we're enough. And you have a lot of power to go to therapy, get coaching, get help for that. But if it's in the culture where they're actually fear-based, where they're performance-based, and they are only looking at your results, then that may not be the company you want to work for because it's going to violate that Christ-centeredness of not performing just for the sake of attaboys and accolades and for these companies are going to be used. Yeah, we don't want to be just used. We don't want to just be used and discarded. So I would encourage you to like really evaluate that. Is this coming from me and the place of maybe brokenness in my home life or my my past life, my childhood? Or is this coming from the company? If it's coming from the company, is it something I have the power to change? If it's not, I might actually want to work somewhere else, even if it doesn't give me as much significance. And I have a friend, she just called me the other day, and she's working for one of the best companies in the world. I love that. I can't say what company it is because you would trace back the other thing I'm going to say, which is she was working for one of the best companies in the world that was as far as reputation, but it was like a tyrant who just controlled all the employees and had has 100,000 plus employees, and it was awful to work for. And she finally realized, I only have one lifetime, and I've worked here for 10 years. I have 25, 35 more good years of, to work for. Do I want to be stuck in this job? Quit it to work for a startup, and the startup didn't work out. But she's like, just she had to honor her heart. And, and she ended up getting a job that she never thought she would get in one of the best companies that does not have that culture. And I just think when you're being led by God and you're being honest with yourself about these kinds of dynamics, then you'll know. You'll know where you're supposed to be. And so I just, I love Bob's answer, and I hope that helps you so much. And you guys keep asking these questions because, Bob, what are we going to do? We're going to keep answering them. We are. So every podcast, we're answering these questions. All you have to do is go to bullsministries.com and look for the graphic where you click on it and you'll record your question just like they did to us. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Exploring the Marketplace podcast, part of the Exploring Podcast series. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing or even rating and reviewing so that more people can connect to us. Also, we'd love to be part of your spiritual journey, and we have amazing resources at our website, www.bowlsministries.com, B-O-L-Z ministries.com, including other free media, TV shows, books, and even an ongoing mentoring online platform. See you there.